All content on this channel is for informational and educational purposes only and should not be construed as professional financial advice. Should you need such advice, please consult a licensed financial or tax advisor. No guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of information on this channel. So uh, we're talking about SoFi today, and um, this is a, a, an, an episode that we're recording um, in response to a request by an actual listener who is neither one of us, a real live <laughs> I, I still don't believe you. I think you this made is, that up. <laughs> <laughs> this is my other personality because I'm schizophrenic. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, uh, the, the listener's name is Gary L. I... Uh, truncated his way to go Gary so that I wouldn't dox him accidentally on our uh, podcast that nobody listens to but he requested SoFi and so here we are doing the SoFi episode only only the two of us could dox him I don't think anybody <laughs> yeah, else could yeah that's true and himself <laughs> um, if he happens to remember to listen to this episode yeah so it, it's actually an interesting data point though because who you know who's listening to this right and and no idea. What's, what's our demographic right we really don't know and to me the sofi recommendation sofi is one of those like you know wall street bets meme stocks right yeah, uh, yeah. and i think there's a lot of interest in it i'm speculating a little bit but you know they went public i guess we should give a little bit of background but it went public as a spec right yes. this, this is a spec merger uh, in January, right? Mm -hmm. um, and and because of that, uh, it, it went public, I guess, heavily shorted too, because it was kind of in parallel with all the SEC crackdown on SPACs. And you ended up with like, you know, a heavily shorted position, which made it, you know, seem like a great discount. I think the short volume ratio is like 25 or something like that. Oh, I see. Um, which, which made it a heavily shorted stock. And again, at, at that time, like with, with uh, GameStop and everything else, they were looking for overly shorted stocks to pump up. So I think that's part of why it's in that ecosystem. I've seen the name, by the way, SoFi a bunch of times on mm -hmm. Reddit and other places, but I never really looked into it. Um, SoFi is, by the way, it is a uh, fintech company, provides a, a set of different financial products. Uh, I guess they started more as a student loan refinancing company and, and expanded out into mortgages and personal loans, and credit card. Now they offer a credit card, they offer investing solutions and banking, and they have a, a really slick mobile app. Um, so that's what it is. I, I kind of went public. It's gotten a little bit of buzz in this meme stock world. Uh, and it's interesting. Um, and, and I don't know, uh, you know, we can we can talk more about the background. I think there's a lot to cover just getting us to where we are right now, right? So they have, I guess we could drill down, right? So they have this SoFi Invest, that's their product to buy stocks. And mm -hmm. you can also trade crypto on there. Uh, that piece of it looks, you know, kind of like, kind of like the Cash App, right? In a lot of ways that we covered with Square. Right. Um, right. They have SoFi Money, which is basically a bank account. You can deposit and spend money from there. They have a, a product called Relay, which is managing your credit score and spending trends and just managing your personal finance and, and a loan product. So you can borrow via your credit card or, or personal loans or the student loans fall into that bucket. Um, those are the four major categories. And, and again, that immediately looking into it for the first time this week, what type of company is this? I, I kind of want to bucket it alongside a Square or a PayPal or, or a, one of those like fintech companies. 
but it also in a lot of ways looks like a bank in that they do lending and banking. So it's a little bit different. Uh, Maybe I'd say a a broader offering than what you find on the Cash App, but a lot of overlap. Yes, exactly. And I think that, uh, you know, as part of the research here, I downloaded the app and went through the whole like setup process. Yeah, and like poked around and um, I even put deposited a thousand dollars into their brokerage uh, product, like the investing product so that I could get like the $5 bonus, you know, which of course I just put into Pinduoduo because it was crashing at the time. So (laughs) now I have an extra $5 of Pinduoduo like floating around somewhere. Um, And, uh, you know, like looked around at the app and, you know, poked around. I, you know, when my, my first impression of like going through their app is that it's nice. And I think it is dig- uh, certainly a digital first company, but I thought their app was a little busy. Like there's yeah. like 300 different things to do. And I wasn't even really sure. I was just poking at different things and like quickly skimming them and like looking around. And oh, I even, um, you know, I went to their like, uh, I was trying to get a $20 like bonus. So I went to their uh, personal loan section. And then I, you know, I like did something like really ridiculous. I said like, um, you know, I have a really good credit score, but I have zero income and I want to borrow a hundred thousand dollars. I wanted to see if they're like, they do it for me, you know, and then, yeah. and then they immediately rejected my application and said, <laughs> well, that's good. We will refer you to this other organization, which is called Lantern. And which I saw in their like financial disclosures is basically handles like the worst of the worst like credit reports, you know, or requests that they have. So I was ca- immediately categorized as that. <laughs> yeah. Good. But That's what least, you should be. But at Idiot. least, you know, they, 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 they denied me because like, I wouldn't give myself a loan with that kind of like profile either. So, um, yeah. You know, it's, it's great, by the way, I did the same thing. I, I did this with the cash app, too, you know, right? Like something I don't use and I kind of vaguely understand where they play. You got to download it and play around with it. Um, I actually, did you go through the learn section? Did you go through like a tutorial learning about what no. is a stock, how to value a stock? No, I was so I like, I don't need this stuff. I have a podcast that talks about I don't need stocks. This. I have a podcast that underperforms the market. I don't, <laughs> I'm an advanced investor. I don't need your help. Um, yeah. So I was poking around and it's funny because if you apply some of their own like metrics to valuing their own company it yeah. comes oh. out really badly yeah it's like i want to turn, turn it on the itself. mirror towards themselves and made <laughs> yeah, them look hoist it the on mirror. their own petard yeah it was not great well, um, what did you yeah we can get into that uh, no i'm just the learn one of the things they're talking about in valuing different stocks is to to use you know versus pr- price to earnings instead of price to sales or debt to equity um <laughs> and you know since they're not profitable you should really right. use price to sales when you value them and then you can compare them to other companies like a right. paypal or whoever um, and that doesn't look, I don't think that looks so good for them uh, when you do it that way, uh, which is just kind of funny as like, I'm, I'm reading through their tutorials about how to, how to value the company. Yeah. And I'm like, wait a minute. Uh, <laughs> that makes sense. Um, you know, a couple so, of things we should probably also, sorry, go ahead. So, I mean, the other thing I wanted to mention was that um, the SPAC actually was accomplished via um, Chamath Palihapitaya. Um, who um, created the IPOE ticker. And then um, that was the one that, that was the shell company that merged with SoFi um, so that SoFi could go public. Um, and, you know, Chamath is actually like in a weird way connected to one of our other companies that we covered, which is Tesla, 
um, a long time ago, like back in like the deep recesses of like the Model 3 ramp, when Tesla, people were going to say Tesla was going to go bankrupt um, and the stock had like cratered, like it was down 50% um, and everybody was suffering um, who was long Tesla. Uh, Chamath was actually like one of the few people who was willing to go publicly on CNBC and say bullish things about Tesla. Hmm. Even though, like, basically, they looked like the entire world for, like, Tesla was on fire, right? Like, it was going down in flames. And he, it was him and Kathy Wood, who was also, like, reviled by uh, value investors. Um, but, you know, I, he earned a lot of respect from me uh, because yeah, he was... Best, best he friend status unlocked. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He, because, you know, during those difficult times, I listened to his interview and I was like, Chamath speaks the truth on this one. I totally agree with him, you know. Um, and yeah. few people would like go out and say anything positive. So, uh, yeah, that's just a. So what's what's his exact relationship? This is through the. He was what was he, the company they. He was the sponsor. Social Capital. Yeah, or? he was the sponsor of the SPAC that okay. took um, SoFi, which was a private company, um, public. So he was he facilitated that transaction almost like the way a, a banker would, like an investment banker would. Okay. So he, he's made cool. money off of this transaction. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. Yeah. I just I want to drill this? through a couple of um, a couple more background pieces on the company because uh, yes, I agree with you. By the way, the app is a little busy. Uh, there's a lot going on, and there's no reason that they've they've made four major categories that we just went through. But there's no reason there can't be five or two, right? So you know, you just try to figure out what the utility is. And this is a little bit where I struggled with the cash app too. It's like, well, I can do this with Venmo. I can do this with, uh, you know, with PayPal. I can do this with Zelle. I can like, there's just, there's so many tools to do elements of this. Do you need it in one place? And what am I getting that's unique to this app, right? Um, and that that's really where I was kind of like, eh. and then I had to dig in, right? So you have, as background, right? You have this, this acquisition. Um, uh, this was in... What in April last year, uh, they they paid 1.2 billion uh, to acquire a payment software company that basically have you know built APIs to connect banks to credit card processors, right? Mm -hmm. that, that was my understanding of what they You're do. Talking about Galileo, right? The Galileo yeah, so acquisition. Galileo is right. Yes, um, and and the API there, you know, that's that's basically infrastructure. Right? It's a, it's critical infrastructure that any any payment processor needs to have. And other competitors use them too, so it's kind mm -hmm. of like uh, it's it's a good play. Uh, I think Robinhood uses them for backend too. Um, yeah. and yeah. they also and Galileo is a quickly growing company in its own right. You know, they they had a deal, an interesting deal with Verizon. They were doing some other partnerships. They're um, just just a cool company, and I think that makes them more of a a like tech play. Almost, and what's the other one? The Stripe is another company um, yeah. in yeah. the space that's doing that stuff. So. You know, again, just trying to categorize them. Is it a tech company? Is it is it more of a bank, right? And then the other acquisition that's interesting uh, that we have to talk about is they bought Golden Pacific, which which is a bank um, that basically makes them look more like a bank. They can now take yeah. direct deposits and they can make loans based on those deposits uh, instead of having to resell them to a banking partner. Uh, they right. just acquired it and vertically integrated it so they can do it themselves. Again, making them look a little more like a bank and a little bit less like a tech company. So, 
Um, I just think those two acquisitions really summarize the, the dichotomy of this company, where on the one hand, it does look a lot like all of these interesting fintech startups doing all kinds of cool stuff. It's very slick. It's mobile first. Like that, That's you know, very unlike a bank, right? Where everything sucks. <laughs> um, but at the other hand, you know, they, they, they are a bank as well, um, literally. Uh, so when you're trying to value a business like that, you have to find the right comparisons for them. And that's where I think, at least for me, when in this exercise, I ran into some trouble. But that, I think that was the relevant background. I mean, you can get into some of the team. They have some really high-end team. Uh, the CEO is great. It looks like they, the person running um, uh, a couple, two of the different leadership positions for the business. One of them is a former uh, COO of Twitter, who's a big deal. And another guy, you know, it looks like a great management team. Um, but I don't know if there's other data points you want to go through just from background. Yeah. I mean, uh, in terms of the the background, like, if you look at the general space that SoFi plays in, um, it itself is a fintech. And as you mentioned, through the Galileo acquisition, um, the Galileo, because it provides the infrastructure, um, the critical infrastructure to power, like, other fintechs, it's like a double play. Like, it's a call option on the growth of fintech in general. And it itself is a pure play, not pure play, but like a direct fin fintech competitor itself using its own Galileo technology that it sells to others. Right. And, uh, you know, the, like the, for me personally, the, like that background is interesting because when I look at the financial industry, like especially like the large money center banks, like uh, Bank of America, uh, Wells Fargo, JP Morgan, and stuff like that. I do feel that it is ripe for disruption. There's the those big banks, they've survived just basically because of the momentum that they have um, and the, the decades of experience that they've had trying through grow through acquisitions in the market. Those banks are basically like roll-ups of like uh, merged hundreds of hundreds of like smaller banks that have now just grown into these like large entities that now like you know, hold 50% of the accounts in the entire US, right? And to be honest, they really suck. Like, like, like I remember like a long time ago, personally, I was trying to get a, a, a HELOC, right? Um, and it wasn't like a big HELOC, it was $50,000. And uh, I was a shareholder in Bank of America at the time. So I didn't even go shopping around with anybody else. I was just like, I wanna go to Bank of America, I'm going to apply for a $50,000 HELOC. Like, I'm a really good credit. Like, I can show you all my documents, blah, blah, blah. Like, I've got, like, a top credit score. Just, I just need to just open this account, and I want to do it quickly. We go through this, like, whole, like, application process, and it was, like, it was, it was like going through a labyrinth of documents with the worst user interfaces known to man. And I guess just gets, and, like, it felt like they were running us around in circles with like emails between like an actual live person and then going to this like faceless uh, user interface on the web that looked like it was built in the 19 or the late or middle 1990s, right? And like there wasn't any crosstalk between the two platforms. So this the real human person didn't know what was going on. And then this faceless like system didn't know, wasn't telling anybody anything about what it was doing. And like, like, lo and behold, I'm frustrated. Like, I literally just want to give this company business because I own stock in Bank of America. I'm not even trying to shop around with anybody. 
And right. they're they're making it hard for me to do business with them. So you know what I did? <laughs> I and this is a skill that I picked up in in a in a in a prior job that we had together. I guessed um, the Brian Moynihan, the CEO of Bank of America's email, and I sent him an email telling him how frustrated I am, just trying to get this tiny rinky-dink keylock from them. And I'm literally not even trying to make anybody compete. I'm trying to give you my business and you're making it impossible for me to do this. So I sent him this email. And then the next day I'm heading off to like my work at some sort of tutoring job at a college. And I get my phone, my, cell, my, 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 my iPhone blows up with three calls in a row from different numbers, right? And then I'm like, okay, something happened. I pick it up and it's like the senior vice president of Lowe's. <laughs> Who's scared shitless that like Brian Moynihan, like probably like sent <laughs> his, his assistant probably sent him like that email that I sent like in the middle of the night. And now he's like just calling me, like trying to ask, oh, like, what was the problem that you had and what was the issue? Blah, blah, blah. Anyway, I That's ended great. up getting, I ended up do getting that, 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 that HELOC. But is it bad that I had to email in anger the CEO of what, like a $600 billion market cap company just to get my ELOC done? Like, is it, isn't that a signal that something's truly broken in that industry? And, uh, you know, I think the, the premise behind these uh, fintechs is that they want everything to be done digitally um, and easily and transparently, where you don't have to go through the links that I did just to get a loan, like a financial product. Nobody wants to jump through hoops nowadays to get their financial stuff done. They want to live their lives. They don't want to have to like go into the bank only during bank hours from Monday through Friday at like 9 a.m. to like 5 p.m. Like you've got busy lives. You got stuff to do. You can't just be going around waiting in line to get you deposit your checks or get a new card or something like that. I don't know. So um, I'm bullish uh, on the uh, the whole fintech industry, and SoFi is like you know not it, not just itself like a, like um, directly participating in it, but also yeah, like kind of provides a little bit of a call option infrastructure on the rest of the industry. And the um, the other thing about it is that 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 makes it different from like other like uh, fintechs that we've looked at, like Square, which we both really like, is that um, you know. Even though its user interface, I think, isn't as good as Square, I actually like the Square user interface more. It's like cleaner and better UI. Um, I think that SoFi focuses a lot on loans. Like Square, the Cash App doesn't even really give you any loans, not that I know of. Um, and you know, Square itself doesn't really offer loans unless you're doing transactions, like business transactions. Um, and then they can kind of see how much money is moving in and out of your business. And they use that as a way to like uh, feel more confident about underwriting loans to you. Um, and so far, you just open up the app and just start applying for loans right away. Like student yeah. loans, mortgages, refinances, blah, blah, blah. Um, and, you know, I think they, at the end of the day, what they really are is they're they're not really taking on the risk of the loans. Maybe they take like a partial residual on the risk of the loans, but I think they offtake it. So they like they they originate loans and then they sell it to somebody some other entity, um, which you know creates some situations in here where like um, if 
they can't offload those things, then they need to stop originations. So like basically SoFi ends up because they're more loan heavy in terms of their, their need to, you know, generate revenues becomes um, more vulnerable to downturns in the credit cycle. So we are now living in probably one of the most like cash, highly liquid environments of all time. So like SoFi making loans and doing money things, it's doing all <laughs> right. Like the, the tides are high, but I don't know what the tides are going to look like when the tides go low and at some point they have to, right? Uh, like, I don't know what they look like in that, that part of the credit cycle. And, um, you know, a lot of places that have ex decades of experience managing loans and volume, like sometimes they'll stumble and fall, like Bank of America needing a bailout in 2008 during like um, a low tide in the credit cycle. And uh, SoFi is doing okay now in like probably one of the most benign uh, credit cycles you'll ever see where literally like you're not even working and the government is giving you money. So of course you'll be able to pay yeah. back your loans. <laughs> then I, I don't know, like when that ends, like how, how SoFi's like underwriting um, and their credit risk uh, selection, especially like the adverse credit risks that are hidden in those originations, um, you know, whether or not they've adequately screened for that. Because like literally yeah. all of the, the relationships are just basically like app downloads from anonymous people who, you know, answer a few questions about their like credit score. Maybe there's a credit score background check later on, but that's basically it as far as I've seen. Well, I think that's a great pivot too. Look at the hard data. What, what, where do they make their money? The company generates 83% of its revenue from the loan piece of the business. Right. Yeah. That's this, huge. It's a, it's a lender. The company yeah. is a lender. It's, it's, a, it's lender. a glorified tech, you know, tech, shiny tech bubble on a lender. And yeah. they should be valued like a lender. Yeah. Yes, there's Which tons of not and very get high. into it. Yeah. No, like no, not, not a very high valuation. Yeah. I mean, you know, not to jump too far ahead, but you know, you look at a normal bank or a normal financial institution, you're talking about single digit price to sales, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, even a good bank that that lends, you know, judiciously, yeah. <laughs> they're still single digits. Yeah, tech companies are the ones doing 50, 60 or 100 times price to sales. Like, I don't know if their business model justifies that they're not making money from the people depositing there or, or using their credit card necessarily. It's all coming from loans. And to your point, like, 100%, this is the best time to be a lender. Uh, I don't know what that's going to look like in a year or two, uh, yeah. especially all the macro stuff we keep talking about. If we have massive inflation, if there's a pullback, if there's a jobs crisis, if, you know, whatever. And, and look, you notice it anecdotally, too. I went out to a, I had a, a night on the town with my wife last week, and we went out to a bunch of different restaurants. Service is terrible. And every single place has like listings for jobs, begging for employees, showcasing <laughs> their, their 401k and all like anybody, <laughs> anyone who will consider working there. And, and the reason is, why would I work at a horrible job wherever I get yelled at all day and I'm on my feet for 40,000 steps when I can just collect checks from the government? The incentives are, are messed up right now. And it, it lends itself to uh, making it very easy and low risk to lend money. It's not going to be like that forever. And, and when 83% of your revenue is coming in from a piece of the business that's unnaturally stable right now, that makes me worried. And I, if anything, I'd be paying a discount, not a multiple. Like that, that scares me. Right. Yeah. I think that, yeah, that, that part gives me a lot of pause. 
The other thing where, you know, if I had to examine one of the big bullish arguments for uh, SoFi is, is their member growth, right? Like a oh, lot yeah. of people who Great. I think are very bullish on the company point, and I'm, I'm looking at their, I'm basically looking at their Q1 2021 earnings presentation. Um, mm-hmm. I'll put a link to this thing in our show notes, but, but basically on like page three, they show the members. Uh, and they just say something, they title the slide and they say seven consecutive quarters of accelerating year over year growth. And they put down year over year growth percentages reaching up to like 90 and 110% growth, right? But, you know, I want to just just take a stab at a couple of things dissecting this slide, okay? Like this is bullish if you just glance at it. But I think if you look at it more deeply, I get there's a couple of red flags in it. The first is before that you they, drill in can, before yeah. you drill because I want you to do this um, before you do the exercise. I, I read the same data and then I looked up. I just quickly did the CAGR on that. Right, so yeah. from Q1 2019, uh, the member count was seven hundred thousand. It's grown yeah. to two and two point three million. So your yes. CAGR there is eighty one percent. That's yeah. staggering, uh, yeah. and that would be impressive for any company. So now I'm better setting the bar for you. Now go ahead. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you know they show this like hockey stick chart going from 704,000 members in the first quarter of 2019, growing all the way up to 2,281,000 members at the end of the first quarter of 2021. And the, the message is that it's growing very fast. But like if you, so the first thing that I, I, I did was I said, okay, what is it like, what is the, the number of members added every quarter, right? So uh, I basically just generated the difference between each bar in this graph. And, you know, between the first two bars, they added 55, so 55,000 members. Like that's how much they were growing from quarter to quarter. And then um, the next one was 105,000. Or, uh, yeah, yeah, 105,000. And then uh, 112,000, 110,000, 118,000. These are additions, mind you. And then 297,000, 350,000, and 430,000. So maybe a year ago, they were adding um, somewhere between, somewhere somewhere around like 100,000-ish people per quarter. Um, now they're adding somewhere like 300 to 400,000 per quarter. Um, and it looks like it's increasing every single time. And um, that's like not bad. Like basically what they were doing was they were growing 10% uh, like, uh, sequentially, every sequential quarter last year, and now they're doing something like 23% uh, uh, sequential quarterly growth this year. Um, okay, so that's like not bad, but it's not like the 110% growth that they're trying to like you know wow you with with the numbers by doing the year over year growth, right? The other thing that I want to drill down about it is, and this is the part that really worries me, like in the footnotes, they. What like what is their definition of the member that they are counting in here? So I drilled down at the footnotes, which is on page 18, like near the end of the presentation. And I'm going to read this out to you, okay? Because I think this is important. We define a member as someone who has a lending relationship with us through origination or serving, the servicing. Um, anybody who has also opened a financial services account. Anybody who has linked an external account to our platform. Anybody who has signed up for our credit monitoring service, 
And once someone becomes a member, they are always considered a member unless they violate our terms of service. Even if they're not using it at all, they don't have to be active. Yeah. Yeah. That's wild. And you know what? I, I, you know, I, I was poking around in their app and their app has like a lot of features built into it where they mm, use carrots, like little money carrots to get you to do stuff. But afterwards, you're like, mm, I don't know what else I'm going to do because there's no more money carrots. So like there's money like carrots. You're like your $5 of floating Pinduoduo stuff. Exactly. Like I put $1,000 in there to get five, $5 of Pinduoduo. Guess what I'm going to do next week? Close that shit down and like trying to move my $5 out. <laughs> yeah. uh, and then, but I'm always going to be defined as a member. And also, there's like little um, referral buttons there where basically you just spam. They're asking you to spam your, um, your contact okay. list so that, and then you'll get points whenever they sign up. And then they'll get points whenever they sign up. And then the points are translatable into cash at some point. So basically, they're just incentivizing uh, a certain population of people who care about like the $5 to do take certain actions, but they're not taking those actions because there's something inherently amazing or awesome about the app. It's just, it's just like, they just want $5. (laughs) (laughs) And, and, and the fact that like, there's no, like these numbers are stacked in a way where like, there aren't even any people leaving. They're just like, of course it's going to look like a hockey puck. Like it has to mathematically look like a half hockey puck. There's nothing yeah, amazing I mean, about that that slide. Like I know it looks amazing, but it's mathematically engineered through their definition of a member to have to look like a hockey true. puck because there's no way it'll go down. And you add more every time, and then what you're doing is you're basically like getting people to refer to the other people, right? Um, and you're selecting for the people who care about like five dollar incentives to like do something in your app. Another right. thing I want to talk about in here that like worried me a lot was this, the next slide on their presentation, like page four, talks about their products, which looks really impressive, right? Like they have like 120% year over year growth in the total number of products that their members have. And then um, <clears throat> a subset of total products is financial services products. They also show that. And that says 273% year over year growth which looks amazing on its face. But <clears throat> I did a couple of like side calculations in there. Okay? The side calculations, the first side calculation I asked was, based on this data, I know how many members they have and I know how many products they have, right? So I could calculate the product per member. <clears throat> and in the very first quarter of 2019, the number of quote unquote products per member was 1.1. So basically like, most people signed up just for one product and didn't do much else. And <clears throat> by the time, to- so you're thinking, oh, it's got to improve, right? So by the time, well, I'm going to skip to the end. By the time the first quarter of 2021 rolled around, um, they did improve uh, the number of products per member, but it's at still at 1.4. So like, that's roughly, if I'm being generous, one and a half products per person. So like, some people have one product and some people have two products, right? And if this whole thing, if the whole premise of this thing is that they're going to generate, they're going to 
quickly grown the number of members, which I think is a little suspect. And number two, they're going to cross-sell and pitch as many products as possible to those members. I was expecting stuff like three, four, five, six products per member. And I'm getting anemic numbers like 1.1 all the way up to the improvement, which is this most recent quarter, to 1.4 products per member. Mm. And that's not like, that's not world beating in my mind. Like that's, and then, you know, if I look at the footnote and I think about how they define their products. So I go back to page 18, it says, total products refers to the number of lending and financial services products that our members have selected in our platform since our inception through the reporting date, whether or not the members are still registered for such products. Wait a second. Total products refers to the aggregate number of products that our members have selected on our platform since our inception through the reporting date, whether or not the members are still registered for such products. They count everybody who's touched it even if they stop touching it. <laughs> like, this, like, do you see how aggressive this whole product count is? Of course it looks like a hockey puck. Like literally when I just downloaded the app a couple days ago and I started touching things in the app to poke around, like they were counting me as a product, even though my intentions might not be to be stick with this app for like forever, you know? And so, yeah, like if you're going to do that, mathematically, you're going to have to have hockey puck. Uh, numbers in your presentations. But now that like calls into question like how much engagement they truly are getting in their app and like what kind of true user growth they're really getting as in like stickier user growth, not like user growth where like I got $5 and now I'm going to get my buddy to get $5 and then we're never going to use the app again because we've extracted, we both extracted our $5, right? Like that's not, like that's good enough for like to get the engagement in the short term. But what you really want is to win the long game. You want like the long financial relationship with these people. Like you wanna you wanna keep them around for like 10, 15, 20 years, not for like a few days. And then it's costing you five dollars just to have somebody try out your product for a few days. That the unit economics of that won't be very good if you're not, you know, if you're incentivizing that kind of behavior. So this is like what I'm seeing in their um, presentations, I, I get a little worried when I kind of dig down into the numbers there. Um, yeah. 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 I, I mean, the other number, I think, if you wanted to make a bull case, is just that unlike a traditional bank, right, they don't have any overhead in the same way. They don't have yeah. branches. <laughs> they don't have... Uh, heavy customer acquisition costs. I think I saw, I don't remember where I saw it, but an average cost for a, to acquire a retail banking customer for a traditional retail bank is around $1,500 to $2,000 per, right? Right, right. Uh, SoFi pays, I think I saw in their report, like 40 bucks on average. Right, right. Because right. uh, it can cross sell. And to your Which point, it, it, can, it, can yeah. give you, it can give you five bucks to use a product once and it can count you as a recurring member. Yeah. Uh, and again, I, the same thing. That is that is smoke and mirrors to me when you're talking about user count. And that's one of the things um, I think you have to play around with their revenue per user. My, my brother's in, in application development and product. Uh, yeah. And so he always talks about ARPU, the, the average revenue per user, mm-hmm. which I think now that's an interesting metric to use here. If you are goosing your 
uh, user numbers, uh, but they're not active, but you're counting them as active. You can count them as active all you want, but I want to know what your revenue per user is, right? That'll right. at least balance it out a little bit. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I think the math for me, I don't, I'm looking at my Excel sheet here. It, it looks like it's about 400 and something dollars a user, $426 per user is their that's average revenue per user. Yeah. That's is it good. though? I think so. It's, I mean, it's not really, startup. uh, and I, yeah. yeah, so I'll Growing. tell you, I'll tell you why I don't think it's, it's a, it, well, and again, you know, you you got to find ways to make comparisons here. I made a lot of comparisons into Square and PayPal when I was doing this, and it just looked really expensive relative right. to both of those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And again, using using the the price to sales metric, uh, I think Square trades at like five times, you know, five times the forward price to sales ratio. PayPal is like eleven or twelve. SoFi is like 17, 18, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, it, it's, it's more expensive. It's just yeah. yeah, it's more expensive, and and both of us being bullish on square, like that's just, that's enough for me. I can pay, you know, 4.7, <laughs> you know, or whatever the math is on square for a company I like across the board, or I can pay, you know, five times that <laughs> for, for SoFi that to be honest, I don't see the same growth potential. So, you know, I don't, I don't know. It just looks very expensive. And then when you dig into that, that average revenue per user metric, that's an interesting one to me, because if you take another bank, right, like just pick any bank, uh, one of the easy ones I could Google and find online, just the ARPU for Ally Financial, mm -hmm. uh, is is $850 per user. Right. So you're talking about almost double the value per user uh, for Ally Banking Services versus SoFi Banking Services or Lending Services, however you want to do it. Each of those members, uh, because Ally is traded for two and a half times their sales for next year, I think they're seven and a half billion. Uh, they, they projecting seven and a half billion or so this year. So uh, two and a half times that, I mean, you're paying seven times as much for, for the sales ratio. You're paying three and a half times the market cap per user, and you're generating half of the revenue per user on the platform compared to, you know, a decent financial services, traditional bank lender. So just it, to me, it doesn't, I can't find a way to make this look cheap. It looks expensive, whether you value it compared to other banks, and it looks expensive when you value it to fintech companies. Right. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I, there's a couple of like red flags in here that just really worry me. Um, like moving on to a, a secondary point in there, you know, I was playing around with their crypto stuff because, you know, we've both looked at crypto products before. We both own crypto. And um, the big question in my mind is if I buy crypto on uh, this platform here on SoFi, like, will I be able to send that Bitcoin, let's say, if I buy Bitcoin? like off the platform and into like a wallet that I actually own or like is it does it stuck there and I did a little dicking around they don't say it but once I finally found the answer I was like oh no they you can't send the crypto that you buy off of SoFi like it's locked ever in SoFi yeah there is no way to send crypto off of it they call it uh, a way to protect you okay <laughs> I know which is total bullshit because that's insane. I didn't even see that. I, I'm what? too. I'm not. I don't have. I like that you're more boldly navigating the app. I, yeah. I was too scared. I put a few hundred bucks in to play around with it, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't even look into the crypto. That's like, too scary by itself. What am I buying? Like when I buy Bitcoin and SoFi, and I can't send it to myself. What <laughs> did I actually buy? Like that's my. <laughs> that's my question. You know. 
Like that's, that's crazy. crazy. That's crazy. Like wow. like when I buy stocks on TD Ameritrade, which is my broker, I know that if I wanted to, I could open up an account at a completely different brokerage and tell them to send my shares, and then they'll do it. Like they'll send like the. Can you can you convert the Bitcoin into cash in their app? Like yes. how, do, how do you actually? The way, okay, the so way they suggest you do it is you have okay. to like sell it, go back into fiat move the fiat whatever way and then do whatever right but that like what am i buying like am i buying a derivative on bitcoin like <laughs> like a ghost like like, hey, like you've always said man if you don't own the keys you don't own the bitcoin yeah you don't know you don't know you don't know your keys you don't own your coin that's crazy so um that's a little sketch you know and maybe other people do it like i think on robin hood i had the same complaint where people who are buying crypto on robin hood uh, if you, they can't actually, they're not allowed to send any of their crypto outside of Robinhood. So what are they really buying? And by the way, remember, Robinhood is actually powered by SoFi through SoFi's Galileo uh, infrastructure. So maybe there's some sort of underlying tech reason why they can't do it. But I know on Coinbase, when I buy on Coinbase, I can send that crypto to like a private wallet that I own, right? And um, on Cash App, like I can buy Bitcoin there and then I could send it to myself. Um, so those things like feel like legit, like I'm actually buying real crypto that is sendable, right? But right. Uh, this one in here, like I'm not even sure what I'm buying on like their crypto accounts. Why are they charging me fees to buy crypto that I don't actually have? Like what, what is going on? <laughs> It's wild. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I would not, I would not dabble uh, in the crypto on that. I, I'm, I'm wary enough with all the other crypto platforms. Yeah. You know, yeah. Crypto is scary enough, much less. Yeah. You? I don't, yeah. I don't need someone else not letting me control my own keys. That's wild. Yeah. Yeah. That is, uh, that's crazy. So, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I want to like this company because I'm bullish on fintech in general. And um, one of the things that like, I was interested in was how does their direct, um, you know, uh, fintech services like look like compared to other fintechs we've looked at, and I've raised a few red flags that I was worried about in terms of like how they count their member growth, like the sketchy yeah. way that I think they count like the way their the product growth looks like for their members, um, and that like you know if the whole purpose is cross selling lots of products to their members they're not actually cross-selling a lot of they're barely getting to two like they're barely getting to one and a half products per member much less two and there's like a lot of heavy incentivization to like get people to even just try a product in the first place um and so that like makes me worried even though as you mentioned you know like the nice thing about a fintech bank that allows them to grow very quickly is that they don't have to have a lot of like um heavy uh infrastructure so they could spend it on like growth and marketing right yeah um, so they can afford to do that. I just like all those incentives, but I just, I don't like, I don't want to rely on incentives and growth. Like I want the app to naturally provide so much value to people and be so nice for people to use that they want to use it and they want to share it with their friends and you don't have to give them five bucks to, 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 to incentivize it because the app in itself is intrinsically good enough, but yeah, I look at I the think app and it's not, I'm poking around on it and it's not intrinsically good enough where I would poke around with zero incentive. Like I need to be product $5. What did you think about the IPO 
uh, function. Did you did you poke around that? Well, I I I I looked at it, but I didn't like explore it deeply. Um, I thought it was very similar to the way Robinhood like introduced yeah. you to IPS. It seems the same to me. Yeah. Yeah, and that might be part of like the Galileo technology that they provide, but. Uh, you know, in my mind, like, I'm not even really interested in uh, doing like pre IPO stuff off of these platform providers anyway, just because I feel like there's for some reason, way or another, I'm just getting scammed somehow, right? Like somebody's, <laughs> somebody's selling me highly inflated stock in like some sort of company that like the, the real power players or like the elites don't even want. So they're just pushing it on retail so that they can rug pull on them later or something like that. I don't know. I'm not excited about doing pre-IPO investing over like Robinhood or SoFi or anything like that, just because if it's really a good company, they're not going to let it go on Robinhood or SoFi to like the unwashed masses. They're going to like give it to their most valued clients and then do a traditional IPO where you don't have to talk to these like retail hooligans like who, who want to spend 75 dollars yeah. <laughs> you want to buy 75 dollars to buy a fractional share of your high-flying ipo the good stuff will never go in there is my idea right like right. so uh, i don't know i don't even i don't feel like there's any edge in playing that other than like purely speculative speculative purposes so i've just not explored that area too much yeah, and i think i agree you know the only other thing i noticed is there is a social element in there. They're popular investors and top performing investors. They have their own ETFs on here that you can buy into. Some of those look interesting. I don't know if you poked around the like yeah, weekly yeah. dividend, you know, weekly income, the gig economy ETF. Like that's kind of cool. Yeah. I like um, but, I like the idea of those like ETFs, exactly. But what I didn't yeah. see was like what kind of um fees, like the worst thing about an ETF is the fee, right? Because you're basically paying someone to buy a basket of stocks that you could literally just put together if you wanted to on your own with no fees. But now you're paying annually for somebody to yeah, assemble I mean, the, this basket. The expense ratios are pretty similar to what you'd get at any brokerage. I think I saw 59 basis points on the okay. weekly income ETF, which is actively managed. I mean, you're, you're not getting anything... I, the, the messaging to me is like twofold. On the one hand, like I love they're trying to bridge the gap from old school financial services to a slick, you know, user friendly, consumer facing mobile application to, to 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 you know democratize some of these things, make it faster, more streamlined, more visible. IPO investing, lending, borrowing—just it shouldn't be that hard, and it shouldn't cost you that much money to do. I love right. that. On right. the other side. Um, you know, it is, it, it feels in a lot of ways, just, just outdated already, right? Like they're doing, there's a reason that, that the financial structure or the financial institutions we do work with on a day-to-day -day basis charge for certain things. Like that's how they make a lot of money. Yes. They yeah. have a lot more overhead, but like to manage and actively manage a fund, you're going to have to pay a ratio like that. That's, that's how it works. And, and even if you're creating interesting and unique ones, it's not going to be zero. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, on the one hand, they're doing innovative things a little bit, but here's where it got me. They may have an innovative approach by incorporating social or creating these ETFs or letting you do IPO investing or direct crypto investing. None of this is technologically interesting at all, um, at least true. to me, right? It's true. It's right? nothing like, like super like, new. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no technology. Yeah. Why is this a fintech player? 
I'm not sure that it is. And, and this is where it keeps coming back to me of what is this company? When I look at a fintech, like the cash app, when we talked about the cash app and Square, I mean, the, the integration points for back to point of sale and like all the upside and, and, and cross sector capability they have makes them a lot more valuable and you pay a premium for that. Yeah. This is, I just didn't see any tech in this app that I could play through um, that made it feel like something is unique here or more seamless or better built or even, even specifically unique from a technology perspective, right? Like Venmo, it had some uniqueness in how you could, you could literally send money in three clicks, right? That's yeah. really easy. You can scan a QR and it's, it's done and you've got a you know, traceable record. So there's some technology there. Even if you don't like it, or even if you don't agree that it's better than somebody else's, this just doesn't feel like there's anything in here. It, it feels like an amalgamation of a lot of different services you can get from whoever your bank is. And yes, not everybody has a bank and whoever your you know, brokerage firm is. And yes, not everybody has a traditional brokerage firm. But it just I didn't see anything that popped out to me that says, ah, here's the technology piece of this company that's so interesting. I, I don't know. Did you find something in there when you were poking around that you're like, oh, this is why it's a tech play? No, I mean, I didn't really uh, see anything dramatically new. Um, the ink, but uh, the, then, then again, uh, the, the other argument is that it doesn't have to be in order to compete against traditional banks, which, you know, for the greater part of the decade have just sucked and not yes. been able to um, catch up to the digital digital age. And now, like this thing, which is not completely bleeding edge, like crazy revolutionary, but just basically is just better at the digital game is good enough to like look good against these incumbents who are just literal yeah. dinosaurs that can't do anything. Right. Yeah. And you know, um, kudos to them. They're, they're profitable. Right. I don't, I, you know, you look at these other, you know, even square took them a long time. Like, they, they're they're keeping their you know they're, they're a low fee they don't they don't make that much money we just went through how much they make per user like they're not rolling in massive returns on every customer and each of their customers aren't necessarily active customers apparently so right. you know good for them that they've managed to get profitable and and they they are growing they are signing up new members I I mean unless you unless you steer me in another direction it sounds like we're both fairly bearish on this company yeah, I, I do think, I think the, so. The, yeah, I mean, it's just it's hard. It's hard for me to get excited about this when you have alternatives that that do it as much and better, like Square. Uh, that's just yeah. my takeaway. But I do think I'd want to keep a very close eye on um, user growth. To your point, let let's see how they continue to track those numbers um, and what those numbers look like. Again, if they're if they can get their revenue per user up um, because they incentivized you five bucks to use the platform, but once you're on it. Now you're going to pool, you're going to close your Bank of America account and use this instead. And you're going to close your Schwab account and use this instead. And you're going to close your, you know, your Prosper account and you're going yeah. to use this for loans instead. If they can start to do that, um, then it becomes interesting. But you're going to have to keep a really close eye and really drill down on these reports into like user growth, not just at a high level, but across different products and, and what revenue is coming in from those users. And yeah. if that starts to get interesting, which again, isn't going to happen for me for many months, uh, but if that number does start to get interesting on maybe, you know, you look at, maybe we get through this financial situation, the world changes a little bit, they stomach that, and then you come out of it and you can see that they're still growing. Maybe that's worth taking another look, but 
again, just on its face, you know, it's just nothing about this is really exciting or especially tech novel to me, to be honest. Yeah, I agree. I, I think the there's a lot of weird risks, red flags, uh, in, in terms of the red flags with the way they present their user growth, where I feel like it makes it look better than it is. I'm not trying to say that they're like painting lipstick on a pig, but maybe like even if it's really good, they're trying to make it look even more good than it is, right? Like even if it- You almost so, didn't need to do that. It's yeah, like, it's, like yeah. it's, it's kind of weird. It's like weird that they were trying to mislead. Like the numbers, like if you didn't, you know, cherry pick those weird things that I felt like were subtly disingenuous, like they were by themselves, like pretty good growth numbers, you know? And yeah. then they just boost it up. And I'm like, well, well, okay, this is making me feel weird. So that's like just some red flags in the back of my mind. The other thing is also like, even if they do get really good growth, um, the way that they make money, which is lending, and they're not like leaning away from lending, they're leading into it, right? Because they're trying to actually yep. be a nationally chartered bank so that they could like underwrite their own loans and use customer deposits to fund loans, which is some people interpret as a bullish thing because they could lower their, you know, cost of funds by basically using customer deposits to fund loans like a normal bank does rather than off taking it to somebody else. Um, like that to me is like a risk that like uh, is no different from the risk that a traditional money center bank faces like credit and underwriting and just making loans mm -hmm. that people pay you back for. Like that's the, the, the bread and butter, like the tackle and grind of like a hundred years of modern finance, but now in a digital wrapper. <laughs> like, and, yeah. and there's no way that you could get around the fact that there are credit cycles. And so digital or not, growth, high growth or not high growth, the central debate in my mind is, do I want to take on credit cycle risk? Is that something that I really love? And I don't personally love it. Like, <laughs> I like I was a Bank of America investor for a long time, and you know, I, I I've watched Buffett story. I've heard stories of Buffett buying in at Wells Fargo during the 1990s credit cycle recession, and then making out like a bandit, and then doing it again in 2008 cycle. Uh, so I, I know those stories, but like in terms of like growth technology investing, this is not the kind of stuff. Like I want to be like part of my story, you know? Yeah, oh, biggest, I agree completely. The biggest technology thing about it is this like fuzzy premise, this fuzzy value proposition, uh, proposition that the Galileo uh, subsidiary is going to be some sort of like call option on the growth of fintech. And I don't actually necessarily, I'm not necessarily bullish on that, even though when I first was looking into this, and of course, I try to keep an open mind. You know, one of the things that really caught me was they use phrases like, oh, Galileo is the AWS or fintech, which is going to trigger someone like me. Because, you know, I love <laughs> AWS, right? Like, I, I, I love it. It's like a, such a prince money for uh, Amazon. So you call something like that. And like, I sit up and I pay attention. And then somebody else, I think it wasn't the company itself, but somebody else said, like, I'm bullish on this company because I think their Galileo infrastructure play is going to be like the Shopify of fintech. And I was like, oh, yeah, that, that's kind of all the rage. You just got to name a meme stock. Yeah, and, or, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Just throw a great name in there by association. <laughs> that's like saying something like, 
oh, I am going to be the Netflix of the car wash industry. And I'm like, I'm glad you're the Netflix, but I'm not sure if the car wash industry is something <laughs> I'm super right. excited about. You know, and so like, you know, you can call it names like the AWS of fintech or the Shopify of fintech. But, you know, I think what made AWS so good and what made Netflix, not, not Netflix, Shopify so good um, in their respective industries might not necessarily automatically apply just by using that verbal analogy with the kind of industry that Galileo is in. There's more, I think, customer concentration with respect to the number of entities that want to do card payment infrastructure in the way that Galileo provides. Like there's actually fewer entities where that would make sense for them to do that. Like offer your own credit cards. Not every store like is gonna want to offer like their own credit cards or pay for the infrastructure to do that. Like there's fewer entities that will do that. Like Robinhood is one, but how many others are there, you know? Yeah. And so because of that, it's not like a universal play like Shopify, or it's not a universal infrastructure play with a broad TAM like AWS. It's like a niche. And in that niche, whoever won't, like uses your service, there's few of them, number one. And number two, they're not going to pay up the wazoo for whatever you offer, like your basic infrastructure. and you won't have a lot of pricing power in that that field. So I'm not so excited by that the label that it's the AWS of fintech. I initially was, but when I mm. but when I examined it further and I just thought about it, I wasn't as excited subsequently. So you can't just like throw a name like that and then slap a bad industry on it and think people are gonna it's gonna be like a gold mine. It's gotta be apt. It's gotta be the correct situation and i'm not sure it is the correct situation i hear that i hear that yeah i mean the other thing is you you like to embed these like you know a a golden nugget inside the company like an aws that doesn't report separately generates all this revenue and and distinction that's not the case here i don't think Uh, at least i don't i don't see it so even even beyond just the broader sector even if you dig into galileo on its own i like galileo it's an interesting company that's a tech play. Um, but again, you know, <laughs> uh, I just, I don't see how that translates uh, the same way. I don't see how that translates into, into massive sector-wide growth uh, or correlated sector-wide growth for them. I, I don't see it. Yeah. I mean, if I'm being generous, the only thing that I could think about that's like close to this is there's a company called Silvergate Bank. Have you ever heard of it? Okay, so I I came across it a while ago, but basically there it's just a regular bank, like with a federal charter. And what they did was at some point they decided to be the leading bank to help anybody who's in crypto, like any crypto platform that needs uh, the the cover of a um federally like approved nationally chartered bank like we're going to work with you right and they were one of the earliest like legit banks to work with crypto platforms so they just naturally took a lead in that space and now at this point like i think a lot of crypto platforms including like let's say the gemini exchange right uses silvergate as kind of like the uh 
the cover to like you know transact in cash and move things in and out um, rather than the platforms themselves having to somehow magically get this very difficult to get national charter um, for banking services. So Silvergate makes money off of the crypto industry that way. And in a, its own way, Silvergate is like a uh, acted like a call option on the growth of the um, crypto industry, right? So I was thinking about Galileo as being kind of like that, um, which is, I think, the most generous way that I could like think about what it could mean for SoFi. Um, if we're wrong about being like bearish about SoFi, it would be if like Galileo could be a little bit more like Silvergate, right? Like a very important, a key player um, in a very, very growing industry that makes reliable profits because they're, they're just very, very much needed for this industry. Um, you know, but I'm not sure whether or not the dynamics for, um, for, 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 for Galileo are going to be the same as it is for Silvergate, which is why I'm still like on the fence about it and not completely sure. Probably just a little bit more on the bearish side for this. So <clears throat> yeah, anyway, I, I think for this one, I will probably just monitor it and see whether or not something changes. I'm very, I feel like that it's very unlikely that things will change because I think it won't let go of that lending model. And I'm, I really don't personally want a lot of credit cycle risk in my portfolio. So, um, uh, yeah, uh, this is probably one uh, like a fintech play that uh, I'll, I'll stay out of, even though I am actually bullish on, on fintech in general, considering how terrible money center banks are. But, uh, but yeah. Yeah. Well, that's easy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we'll talk this, put this one in the books, and then um, we'll uh, reconvene the next time. Have a good night. In the books. Thanks, Gil. Yeah.